Hi, it's Kate Brownfield from ADHDKidsCanThrive.com. My guest today is Dr. Nicole Mickley, a pediatric psychologist specializing in comprehensive psychoeducational assessments for children, adolescents, and young adults. Her work is focused on the identification and treatment of young individuals with neurodevelopmental disorders. Today, we're gonna focus our conversation to help become more educated about comprehensive assessments when you have a child that's struggling in home and school life. Please enjoy our conversation. And as always, thank you so much for listening. Okay, so let's start like kind of from the beginning. And what are signs and symptoms that show up in a child who may be struggling with ADHD? So when we think of ADHD, we often think of the typical symptoms, the commonly known symptoms like problems with focus or impulsivity, hyperactivity. These are kids that are always getting up out of their chairs. They can't sit still. Um, they are blurting out in class. They're always needing to fidget with something. Those are some of like the most, the more common signs. Um, but one of the lesser known facts about ADHD is that these kids often struggle with different sort of brain skills, um, that are beyond attention. And, um, some of these skills are, um, include issues like organization, planning, um, getting started on tasks. So in day-to-day life, these are the kids where their backpack is constantly unorganized. Um, their room is a mess. They, um, at school, they have missing assignments or they might do an assignment, but forget to turn it in. Uh, they might forget to bring their materials to school. Um, so those are sort of the brain skills that we see, um, again, that are sort of lesser known that are impacted many times in kids with ADHD. And then we also have another sort of cluster of difficulties of kids um, in this population that have difficulty managing their emotions and their behaviors. So they um, get angry really quickly, or they have more intense emotions compared to their peers. And oftentimes they have this tendency to act without thinking. So sometimes this leads to verbal aggression or physical altercations with their peers, not always, but sometimes. Um, and this goes back to them, just their dysregulation and not having the the tools or the ability to, to regulate and manage those feelings. Yeah. Okay. And is that the part of ADHD that makes it so complex? I think on the outside, we think of ADHD as just this simple condition of just not being able to focus, but it is much more complex than that. Absolutely. And I think you reviewed a lot of, the, a lot of those things. Mm-hmm. Um, so if parents are seeing all like little signs of the traits that you described, mm-hmm. if a parent is like, I don't know, should we consider having our child assessed? Like mm-hmm. at what point I think this is where parents try to get into like, when do they decide to actually do a a comprehensive assessment of their child and what's going on with them? Great question. Yeah. And it is a difficult decision because all kids do struggle to some point with focus or all kids can be fidgety or restless or impulsive. The, the hallmark of ADHD is kids who struggle in this area to a larger extent than the typical child. So they really are, have problematic abilities 
in those areas of attention, impulsivity, restlessness that really stand out when you compare them to their peers. So just some guiding points of when it might be a good time to start thinking about an assessment is, again, if you're seeing these issues that come up where it just seems out of proportion when you compare them to their peers. Um, and a good way to gauge for this is, you know, parent-teacher conferences. You know, these teachers are um, with your kids and they are able to sort of differentiate how your child is doing in comparison to the rest of the 20 or 25 kids in the class. Um, yes. Then, so, okay. So teachers are very subtle with flagging. Mm-hmm. ADHD children or children right. who struggle, especially when they're younger. So I think if a parent's never been through this, these little comments that come from teachers are very subtle. I agree. Right. So what would you be hearing from a teacher? Right. That's a great point. Teachers want to tread carefully because they don't want to get in trouble for maybe insinuating something that they don't know for a fact. And so one of the things I often hear from teachers is, you know, they're really bright, but they're not performing to their potential, you know, or, um, you know, they, they need constant reminders to finish their work. You know, I constantly have to let them know that circle time is over and now we're back to our desks. So needing that prompting from the teachers a lot, that's one of the signs okay. um, or, yeah. Or again, that, that having that potential and not meeting it. Okay. So if you start to hear those kind of things, that's a time when a parent should consider getting like a formal assessment done. Yeah. Yeah. And also pay attention to how long this has been going on for your child. Sometimes um, we see some problems with focus or other areas and it sort of comes and goes. And sometimes when it's, what's, when it's fleeting like that, it can be sort of the natural ebbs and flow of ch child development. Um, and, you know, in that case, it's not of a huge concern, but when we see it's persisting for a while, and maybe we've heard it over the last couple of parent teacher conferences, or maybe we've seen this for a while now at home, um, and it's been pretty consistent that would be the point where we would consider an assessment. Um, another thing is also paying attention to where is it happening? Oftentimes, ADHD is problematic in more than one setting. You see it not just at school, but at home, in social settings. And so pay attention where the, the difficulties lie. Yeah. Okay. And so if you consider a, an assessment, okay, what would be the difference from going to, um, a private doctor like yourself to get mm -hmm. an assessment versus go through the school to do and like an IEP assessment. Mm -hmm. Sure. The goal when you ask for an IEP and the school district performs an assessment on your child, that assessment, the goal of the assessment is to determine whether your child qualifies for special education services. Um, and what they're looking for is, does your child qualify under one of the 13 categories that's identified under federal law? And this is an educational determination of eligibility. It's not a clinical diagnosis like the one we would make in a private practice. Um, sometimes it can appear as if they've made a diagnosis um, because it, it will state like, you know, ADHD or attention disorder but it's actually an eligibility and a way to categorize their difficulties so that then they can assign the special education services. Okay, so they're not really diet. So can a school diagnose ADHD 
because I thought ADHD was more of a medical diagnosis versus like a learning disability. Yeah, it is. It is a medical diagnosis, but the way that the school is using it is um, to understand sort of where they fall in these predetermined categories. So there are 13 categories of what they call disabilities under federal law. And if you have, if you meet the criteria for one of those categories, you can then be assigned special education services through the IEP plan. So the IEP plan is that educational plan that schools provide. Um, So when they are making that eligibility determination, they're saying based on what we're seeing, they're eligible under this category. Um, It could mean that they have ADHD, definitely. Um, It could mean that, but it is not an actual formal diagnosis um, like like the one we would make in, in our practice. Okay, and how would a parent benefit from a formal diagnosis? Um, Yeah, so the formal diagnosis, um, we are not just concerned with what their needs are at school. Um, And this is what I meant to highlight earlier is ultimately the the benefit of the IEP um, is that they are determining what is this child need to um, access the curriculum? What what supports does this child need in school? Um, In comparison with a private comprehensive assessment, we're looking at that, but it's a lot more in depth and comprehensive in the sense that we're looking at on a, on a greater level, on a larger scale, how does this student learn? Um, what is their learning profile? How does their brain work? And we're doing this through a series of tests tests that look at um, their cognitive abilities, their academic abilities, and also delving into all of their neuropsychological skills. These are abilities like memory, language processing, attention and executive functioning, um, social emotional abilities. And um, we're, 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 we're using a, a battery approach where we're really tailoring, we're, we're delving into um, where we're seeing that that child is struggling and, and doing further testing based on what we're seeing during that process. So it's process oriented and we're able to uncover a lot more about how they're learning and how their brain works through this process um, and then make uh, recommendations, not just that are educational based, but that concern, you know, professional treatments and interventions that the child needs and um, family based recommendations, community resources. So it it has a lot more um, depth and then a breadth or the range of abilities that yeah. skill you're looking at. Yeah. Okay. So if a parent decides to, they're like, okay, we're ready to have our child properly assessed, I call it. Um, what can a what can a parent expect to happen um, with uh, for the parent, child, and teacher? Like, how are they involved in the process? So we start the process with a parent intake meeting where I meet with the parents usually for about an hour and a half, and we dive into all of the child's history, educational history, medical, developmental, social history, and getting a really good understanding of the problem, the concerns, and also the history of the problem and when it first started. Um, From there, we dive into the testing. Typically, the testing is scheduled over three, sometimes four sessions, um, which are face-to-face, one-on-one with the student, where we're going and examining all of the areas that I touched on earlier, you know, all of the neuropsychological abilities um, during those sessions. Throughout the process, we're also collaborating with 
teachers, providers um, that know, uh, that work with the child to gather more information. So we're not just relying on test data as even though it's extremely useful and this is, you know, normed data um, that tells us how that student performs compared to their peers. Um, so it's really valuable information, but we're also collaborating with these individuals that know the child to sort of further deepen our understanding of how that child is in school, um, you know, how their treatment is going. Maybe they're in therapy. Maybe they're seeing a psychiatrist. Maybe they're working with an educational therapist. And um, so typically we send out rating forms to teachers. Um, we're having conversations with all these individuals to deepen our understanding. And at the end of the process, um, after everything, all the data is collected, we meet with the parents to go over all of the results, what it all means, um, is there a diagnosis, and then going over how are we going to support this child through that comprehensive treatment plan, um, you know, educationally, professionally, at home, you know, and, and talking about their needs. Yeah. Okay. And does the parent present your assessment to the teacher at the end or can you have? Yeah. So, mm -hmm. yep, absolutely. Okay. Yeah. So at the end of the process, um, the parents receive a report with the results of the evaluation. And um, typically we encourage the family to share it with the school so that they can get the, the recommended supports at school in, um, you know, accommodations, modifications to their education plan. Um, and then we also encourage them to share it with any providers that they're working with now, and then providers that they are going to work with in the future if they're not already working with. Yeah. Um, anyone that's involved in the, in the care or education of the child would see the report. So everyone's on the same page. Yeah. Okay. And at what age do you recommend that the child get involved in this? Um, as far as like understanding. After, yeah. Yeah. Um, we, I do student feedback. So the one part that I didn't mention is after we do the feedback with the parents, we offer an optional student feedback session. I do feedbacks with kids as young as five years old, um, all the way through college students. And the reason for the rationale is we tailor the feedbacks obviously to their age and their ability to understand. Um, and with the younger kids, we make it just really, you know, simple and easy to understand. And um, when explaining the results, it really comes from a strength-based perspective of here are all the things that you're really great at, um, you know, and here are some of the parts that are hard. And then here's how we're going to help you. And here's how your school is going to help you. Um, so really sort of broad brush strokes and helping them understand. And the reason for that is because when kids don't know what's going on for them, they tend to have, you know, get carried away with their imaginations. And oftentimes what they come up with is much worse than the reality of their challenges. Right. <laughs> so, so it's better to just speak of it. Yeah. Yep. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. They better, they better off just kind of owning who they are. Right. Mm -hmm. As they grow yeah. and mature. Yeah. Okay. So this podcast is focused on like ADHD kids. So what kind of strategies work for kids who have ADHD? I know that most of them have like other things going on with them as well, mm -hmm. but for that attention piece and the executive functioning piece, like what kind of strategies like a general would work for a child who struggles in the classroom? Um, there are a 
many different accommodations and modifications we can make to support them in the classroom, um, which we work with the school to implement. This is really going to depend on the type of presentation um, and, the, and, you know, how that child is affected by ADHD, because there's so much variability in how kids can present. Um, but generally speaking, one of the common, some of the common things we recommend is extra time um, to complete assignments and exams because these kids often take longer to complete um, their work or their tests um, because their processing speed is impacted. So um, they, you know, their their inattention is impacting their ability to access what they know, and then it's causing them to take longer. So we want to make sure we're giving them that time to fully demonstrate what they know. Um, and they often need extra breaks as well, not just during tests, but even during the classroom because they get dysregulated and those breaks, even if it's like walking to the bathroom or getting a drink of water or um, being assigned to hand out papers, those movement breaks can be really helpful in sort of helping them reset and regulate their emotions and come back. Um, and then other sort of tips and, and um, strategies. Um, one of the things I recommend is like, especially in the case of younger kids, having the teacher give subtle reminders to keep them when they're off track. Um, and this is can be something that is predetermined ahead of time so that other kids don't know. Um, maybe it's a little tap on the desk or maybe it's a little note card that gets turned around so that the child knows that, hey, I need to you know pay attention. Um, but there are ways, a lot of different strategies and, and sort of things we have in our toolbox that um, we can partner with teachers and schools so that we're, you know, ensuring that these kids are supported. Yeah, great. Okay, so when a child gets um, assessed, is this for life? Like how often do you get one assessment and last forever? Or do you get yeah. tested throughout your know. life? How's this go? Um, no, it's not a forever thing. Um, the assessments are usually, again, really dependent on, on what we're seeing in that evaluation. But generally, we say the reports are good for three years, sometimes less, sometimes more. Um, the reason being is that ADHD, the presentation, so ADHD is a lifelong disorder, but the presentation can fluctuate across the lifespan. And we want to uh, be able to assess, you know, after a couple of years, how they've responded um, and how they've changed in response to their environment in response to the treatments they've gotten. Maybe they've gotten on medication. And so we want to understand how they've improved and maybe some areas that continue to be a challenge um, and then modify based on that information, modify their treatment plan. Okay. And then when's the last time you need to be assessed? Um, a lot of times in my, you know, professional, um, practice, the, the final sort of assessment is often in college. And that's because kids, um, you know, have had this history of attention challenges and then now they're needing accommodations for college testing or, um, for, you know, graduate schools, you know, they're taking a standardized entrance exam for the LSAT or the MCAT or the dental exam, and they need accommodations. And so they need that assessment um, as part of their accommodations and also for college classrooms. Um, that's often sort of the when it's the last time it becomes really useful. Occasionally, I do see kids 
beyond that, but typically it's at the college level. Yeah. Okay. So as long as you're in school with ADHD, it's important to have like a valid assessment. Yeah. 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 Okay. Okay. So I know people are going to ask like, is this expensive Mm -hmm. for parents to do? Yeah, it is a costly process. The reason for that is how extensive of a process it is in terms of the hours of, of one-on-one testing, um, the you know the collaboration and the conversations um, we're having with people that know the individual, and then also there's a lot of behind-the-scenes work where we're scoring, interpreting, writing, um, you know, and so it's a very time-intensive, um, you know, labor of love um, process that um, you know is is costly. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it's an upfront cost. Um, yeah. Yeah. It's important though, for a child, right. That you understand exactly what's going yeah. on with them. Yeah. Absolutely. I, so many times I have parents that sort of put the assessment off and then they try different interventions. Maybe they get a tutor for a while, or, um, you know, maybe they visit their pediatrician and, you know, get a diagnosis there. And then it doesn't quite fit with the child, you know, the interventions or the treatments don't quite fit. And so it's sort of like shooting darts in the dark where they're not getting the results or the improvement that they're expecting. And then they eventually come back later for the assessment and, um, you know, and sometimes it could be at the child's detriment to wait and hold off the assessment. Yeah. Cause early intervention Exactly. It's very helpful. It's so important. Yeah. So the sooner we can get that assessment and their needs and understanding of their needs, the sooner we can advocate for them and then, and get them what they need. Yeah. 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 Okay. So as we wrap up, what kind of words of wisdom do you have for parents who are raising ADHD kids? One of the things I always say to parents is trust your instinct, trust your gut There are a lot of families that I see that, again, as I mentioned earlier, they have gotten diagnoses or their child has been labeled, but it hasn't quite fitted their child. And they sort of continue on with maybe interventions that are not ideal, treatments that are not ideal for their child, and their kids continue to struggle um, and if you feel like something's not right, if you feel like the the diagnosis or the label or you know the supports that your child has is doesn't quite fit, um, advocate for your child and and speak up and seek an assessment um, because that is really what's going to clarify what is going on and then enable you to really meet your child's needs and, and get them the support they need. That's great. Thank you. It's my pleasure. Thanks so much for having me on. 